Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about IVF, infertility, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Hi guys. Episode 2.6. Excited, yes, on the whole. I'm very excited. Um, so first things first, I've got some bad news. Oh no. I'm the bearer of bad news. Um we've decided to postpone our spring soiree. Oh yeah. Um just because we were struggling to find a night that would work with the fertility fest and um it was just getting a bit stressful and none of us want to make extra stress, do yeah, we? Yeah, and also we're just really tired. We're a bit tired. I'm so tired. There's a lot going on at the moment. I just think partly it's to do with the time of year. Yeah, there is that. It's just dark and it's windy and cold and I'm tired. Yeah. We're just, you know. Storm Freya has come and gone and sapped all my energy. Oh, mate. Well, um, we will have another get together at some point. Probably summer, I think. Yeah, it is on the radar. It's just um, the timings for this just weren't working out. So let me go back to the drawing board and we'll come back to you with a refreshed plan. Yes, and refreshed. And refreshed attitudes. Reinvigorated yeah. souls. Ready to party. Ready to party. Because right now we're just ready to go to bed. Oh my God, don't even start. I'm so... Anyway, um, <laughs> so this week we are speaking to fertility superstar Jessica Hepburn. Oh yeah, oh, who um, is—I mean, she's just a fucking legend, isn't she? Author, arts festival founder, brilliant person, swimmer, swimmer, mountain climber, jellyfish sting survivor. Yeah. Oh man, I this was an interview I really enjoyed. She's one of those people that we've been meaning to speak to since we started and we finally got her in and I just, I think I just must have just beamed at her. Yeah, we, we fangirled, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. We were pathetic, really. <laughs> oh, she's so lovely though. I know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really nice interview. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. And then you spoke to Prof Tim. Prof, Prof, Prof. Yeah. Professor Tim, Child Medical Director at Oxford Fertility about embryo glue. 
What is embryo glue? We'll it's not Pritt stick, that's for sure. It does sound like Pritt stick, though, doesn't it? Do you remember like that PVA glue that you used to get at school when mm. you used to have to peel off your hand? Oh man, I love that. I'm terrible with glue. We were I talking will. about it the other day. Yeah, yeah, it's the best stuff. Not sniffing it though. That's not my bag. No, no, that would be just bad for fertility. Yeah, it would, mm. wouldn't it? Don't sniff glue, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> And in other news... In other news, you can follow us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. Did you know we've got over 3,000 followers on there now? Did you know? Did you know that? I didn't know that until today. What? I didn't know. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's We're great. so popular. We're so popular. Uh-huh. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Big Fat Negative. Did you know we've got over three followers on there? Over three, you say? Wow. <laughs> that is something else. Um, Twitter. <laughs> at Big Fat Negative. And if you want to follow my new special BFN Twitter account, it's at BFN Emma. Oh, I've got 23 followers on there. Emma. But I wouldn't mind 24. Hey, you know what? You sent me a really aggro message on WhatsApp saying, I've got five <laughs> followers on my new Twitter and, <laughs> and none, none of them, them is you. you. And so I went on, dutifully followed you and found out you weren't following me. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky cow. <laughs> yeah, I did that on purpose because I was waiting for you to follow me. Anyway... Or oh dear. you can email us at bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com. No aggro there. No aggro. We no. don't know how many followers we have on there. Oh my God, oh, loads. Remember, um, what was it? Was it called Google Plus? Oh, their social uh, network. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably on there. Oh, no, don't. No? Don't add another okay. network. Well, listen, everybody, please enjoy this week's episode. Yeah. Gabriella, how are you? Gabriella. I've gone official. I sound like my mother. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm good. Thanks. Um, I had I had a bit of a, um, a pity party last weekend, Aww. I would say. Um, and it's the first time I've felt properly kind of sad for a while or let myself wallow in it, let's just say. And um, basically what happened was I woke up. Saturday morning, looked at my phone first thing, obviously, yeah. as, as always. That's what we all do. Um, and I basically, there's a baby grow company called Sleep No More that does these kind of really cool hipstery graphic, like, baby grows. Okay. Do we call them baby grows in the UK? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's like, are they called baby vests? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> baby outfits. And uh, I had a lovely update from them about their new patterns that they had coming oh, out. So adorbs. I was like, I, well, I, they emailed this to you. Well, it's, you know, it's a marketing email, isn't it? There's an unsubscribe button there, pal. I know, I don't, you know, I haven't unsubscribed, have I? So there's a reason behind that. Um, So anyway, I I started looking at them to look at their new patterns and stuff. And uh, I just started to like, I was like, oh, just felt a bit sad. And then, then I got up and went out. My husband was doing some work, so I went off by myself to go to go get coffee, read my book. Wandered past Broccoli's best baby shop clothes place and wandered in and and like was looking at stuff and then I was like do you know when you catch yourself I like wandered in without even thinking and then I like caught myself and I was like what fresh hell is this what am I doing what's wrong with me and then I left and I just started feeling sad and I think basically I think what happened was the week before I had looked after my friend's baby for the day uh-huh Isla. Spoke about. thank you Claire um and I I'm really glad I did it and I did it I, I helped Claire out and it was a really nice day for me I enjoyed hanging out with her but I think what it did was it reminded me that I don't just want to get pregnant yeah I actually want a baby yeah you know what I mean like sometimes you get so fixated on 
yeah. two little lines, getting pregnant. That's what I'm obsessed with. That of I kind of forget that actually I want a baby. Oh. So hanging out with a baby all day, it just reminded me. And I was like, oh. And so then I was like, look at all these baby clothes. And they kind of took on this new significance because I, you know. Because you don't have one. Imagine having a baby in them now. Because mm-hmm. I'd hung out with one. And um, yeah, I just started feeling a bit down the dumps and sad about it. Mate, I, th- I, th- I think it's, I think that's normal. I think it is normal. I think I haven't, I think it's actually remarkable. Like, I haven't felt that sad for a long time about everything. And yeah. I think it's, I, I think, think when you're like, when you're in the process, yeah. you're so focused on the process yeah. that you don't think, you just don't, you, you don't even have time to think about that. I think so, yeah. And now you've got some downtime. Possibly. I think, yeah, you know, well, starting the podcast really helped me. It's stopped, I haven't really cried as much since I started this podcast. And I haven't had as many kind of down in the dumps moments. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think this was just one of them. And I was just like, whoa, really kind of sideswiped me. Um, but but yeah, fine again. No, it hasn't, you know, I haven't remained sad. Well, no, if you want to remain sad, mate, you remain sad. I've had that so many times where you just, you just feel like you need the, that weight in your arms. You need something. I, like, I got it. I've had it like a million times, but I remember so clearly after my failed round, just feeling this need for a weight in my arms, mm. like a thing, a little mm. squiggly thing. So mm. we went and got Nora the cat and Let's just say she's not a great replacement. No, she doesn't like being in your arms. She does not like it. She doesn't like arms in general. (laughs) She went for yours last night, didn't she? Yeah, she snagged my new dress. Oh, what a bitch. (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, but that feeling, like, I I think it's such a primal feeling. mm, Yeah, yeah, I think it's primal. Um, And, yeah, it's weird. And I just got, I I just went home and, like, said it to Mr. Gabby and was like, I'm feeling a bit down. He was like, well, let's do something about it. Let's go to the cinema and take your mind off it. And um, and it did. Yeah, it worked. What did you see? Went to see Green Book. Okay. You'd think uh, a film about racism would not be that cheery, <laughs> but actually, it's quite a it's quite a heartwarming film. Okay. Yeah, it was it was perfect for cheering me up and, and kicking me out of it. And there's no babies in it, so oh, perfect. Ideal. In that case, absolutely um, perfect. Yeah. And in other news, I am obviously trying. F- trying this month because I'm a sucker for punishment <laughs> and um so I've been using the my lotus machine yeah which I was gifted by the my lovely people at my lotus okay. to to use and try and review and basically um honest review I the first week and a half of using it I was just like this is a faff so what do you do with it what is it so it's a monitor that you use you do ovulation testing with okay. and then i guess once that period is over you do period um uh pregnancy testing with it i was told that i couldn't have it because i have blocked tubes oh yeah and yeah well you have to have the opportunity me. to conceive naturally i still ovulate maybe well <laughs> anyway sorry carry on, carry point on. At the moment. just i just feel very excluded <laughs> um and it's supposed to be more precise um, than the kind of regular t- ovulation testing okay. kits, which I believe because those are just flimsy shit, really, aren't they? They are. Um, so I've been using that, and you have to, you have to like kind of press the button every day, and it tells you what it wants you to do, mm-hmm. which mostly is please do an ovulation test, and then you have to pee into a little pot 
do take the pipette. I quite like the pipettes. And then pipette <laughs> oh a God. tiny bit of wee onto this test and then press the star button and it counts up for 10 minutes. And then when the 10 minutes is up, it gives you your answer. But I kept getting like error messages and it's just a bit of a faff with the whole pot and the pipette and the yeah. chemistry. Know. That's a, that's school chemistry. Yeah. So I was feeling a At bit like... At what time oh, in the morning? Yeah. Well, any time of day, I think. Okay, whenever. Um, so you don't have to use FMU? No, you okay. don't. And so I, yeah, I was just feeling a bit fed up with it but actually I stuck with it and once you get used to it and you understand the machine a bit better because it was there are some quite complex instructions that come with it Mm -hmm. and I'm not the best person at reading instructions so I think I probably didn't make my life that easy and so but once you got your head around it and you know what you have to do and you know what all the buttons mean and you know you know what the error messages mean you can kind of get into your flow and so I'm now at one with the lotus machine okay and today it gave my first reading of a positive surge for ovulation. It's today ovulation day. Potentially. Mate, what are you doing here? I know, I know, don't worry, sex is scheduled for later. Okay, great. Yeah, no, fear not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ran into my husband, I was like, the monitor says we need to have sex. And he was like, oh wow, you really do know how to, how to <laughs> get, get a guy going. going. <laughs> the machine wants sex. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it is quite good. It's weird though. It's a bit. It's a few days out from my predicted ovulation, and I know I ovulate quite late. Yeah. But this is even later than that. Okay. Because like, I'm on like day twenty, I think, which seems ridiculous. Uh, I think any any time before day twenty one is normal. Really? It's okay. Okay. Uh, I'm not an expert. No. But as I understand it. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. I mean, maybe your cycle's a bit up the shoot after your. Maybe. But I, I do I do naturally ovulate a bit later. So yeah. like I've never ovulated on day twelve. It's always like fifteen, sixteen. Okay. Seventeen. Anyway. So yeah. Cool. Thumbs up. Tonight's cool. the night. Tonight's Let's the go. night. Hey, if you get pregnant, then everyone listening to us is gonna buy a my lotus machine. Yes, probably right. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it for you guys. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, and that's I think that's that's my week. Cool. How about you? Well, um, firstly, pregnancy chat klaxon. So if you want to skip, start skipping now. The um, time code should be in the show notes. So please, don't listen to me if you don't want to. I'm very boring. Um, my week has been anxious. Mm-hmm. Basically, went off... Like, I think I spoke last week about the fact that I was worried about going off the drugs. Yeah. Went off the drugs. My clinic told me to go cold turkey. Um, what happened was that I, two days after I went off the drugs, started bleeding from the vagina. Oh dear, that's the worst. Um, so obviously major freak out, but also obviously because it's me, it happened during the weekend. Um, so I basically, I managed to get a phone call into my clinic, my IVF clinic on the Friday, like last thing on the Friday. They were like, this bleed should be nothing to do with you coming off the drugs um you need to phone your midwives and they were basically a little bit like it's got nothing to do with us love sorry mm. um when you're not our problem anymore mm. so that was cool nice so then i had to wait all weekend bleeding 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 and it was like um it was it started off like pinkish and then it went to brown so it wasn't like heavy bleeding so i wasn't like wasn't yeah full flow yeah but I, I like i considered going to the early pregnancy unit that i'd been to before 
the one with the very cruel nurses. Yeah, you don't even and know. I just decided it was going to cause me even more anxiety yeah. and it was going to be horrible. And like, there's like a last time I waited like six hours and it was just awful. So this time I've just decided, I just decided to wait it out and call the midwife line when it opened at 10.30 on literally Monday morning. Literally call the midwife. Yeah, literally call <laughs> the midwife. Oh my God, why did I not think of that? Um, Sorry, this isn't a funny story. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, so I went to, I phoned them and they were like, oh, um, We'll make you an appointment at our early pregnancy unit, which is a different one. Um, and so I went there. Yeah, so a different one. Yeah, Good. and she sounded like, not that worried, but, you know, worried enough to make me an appointment that day. Yeah. So I went to it and it was, firstly, it was, so my hospital, the hospital that I signed up to is in a trust, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's like three hospitals in that trust. And she accidentally made me an appointment at the wrong one. Mm-hmm. But they're both kind of equidistant from my house. Okay. The one that I went to first that I've signed up to is Grim AF. Like Gosh. the one where I went to the early pregnancy unit. Basically, the waiting room was like a cafe. Oh, wow. I like would quite happily have sat there for two hours and had Starbucks. Yeah. Like my appointment was at 3.20 and they called me in at 3.20. Wow. Like unprecedented NHS yeah. experience. Yeah. So basically, long story short, I've switched hospitals. Well done. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so I went in and like really nice nurse and like a trainee midwife and they were both lovely um, and they were like, hop onto the bed. And it was just, it was a very radically different experience to my last EPU experience. Did a scan first of all and they were like, baby's fine. And I was like, okay. Good. Like that's all. Tick. Yeah, that's basically yeah. all I'm worried about. But then they were like, "We do want to look at your cervix because if you're bleeding, like that's not good." Yeah, something's going on. Um, my history is I'm a bleedy person. I tend to bleed a lot. Hormonal changes, coming off the pill, going on the pill, all those things have made me bleed. Um, having sex quite often. No. Years ago, I was told I had a friable cervix, which means it bleeds easily. Right. Friable. Also, friable. Also, my house has friable bricks in it. They don't bleed. They crumble weird yeah crumbly cervix yeah so i was thinking fried eggs and i was like well a very strange prospect really gross and painful sounding thank yeah, you sorry um so yeah so basically and then they called in a doctor who put a speculum in and it was like one of those clear plastic ones mm-hmm. and the no instant yeah the instant she put it in apparently it just started bleeding so much that she couldn't see what was going on jesus so she was like I was like, is it, is it me old friend, the friable cervix? And she was like, probably. And then, she, oh, then they started chucking around the C word. Oh God. As in the cancer word. Oh, God. And at that point I was just like, do you know what? I have spent the whole weekend being super anxious. I don't have the energy to be anxious about this. I'm just too tired. I was like, I don't think it's cancer. Yeah. Um, so they looked at my, my old notes from last time I went in complaining of friable cervix and decided that they didn't want to do any further exploration and that it's fine because they've thought that c word before yeah and proven it to be not the case exactly right so i just i, I basically i just i mean people start checking around the c word and right now i'm just like i can't be asked I've, I've got too much to think about well done mate fucking hell like if anyone mentions the c word around me i just start sweating yeah i just i don't have the energy no it's good i'm, I'm tired. tired good i'm really tired and um, so I basically carried on bleeding for further, well, basically for seven days. Really? Yeah. When did it stop? Uh, yesterday was my first day without it. Fucking hell. It's just, 
I just find my mum at one point was like, I just want to stop worrying now. Like, I just yeah. want to like get into this. I'm in my second trimester now. Like, I should be chilled. I should be glowing. I should be like, I don't know, like whatever pregnant ladies do. Mm. But I'm not. I'm just worrying about bleeding still. Mm. Um, so basically, I've just decided to stop worrying for now. Like, I've stopped bleeding, so. Okay, good. But the other thing they said is, um, if you start bleeding again, just come in. And I was like, what, even if it's just like, you know, not very heavy. And she was like, yeah, come in every time you bleed. Oh, right, okay. So that's cool. So I've got kind of a mandate yep. to go and just go whenever I want, basically. Yeah, and so it's a place that you like. So. And it's a place that's like a cafe. Go and get a coffee. That call you in at the exact right time. And I'm really very much about punctuality as a person. So really... Tick, tick, boom. Oh, just genuinely very appreciative of that delighted yeah yeah. um did i notice you having a real coffee i've been on the caffeine i basically joy unbridled joy (laughs) tell me about it i have the smallest possible amount yeah so there's a machine at work and it's controlled by an ipad and you can like it's really fancy you can like decide how much caffeine you have oh wow and like well, well, how much coffee goes in shot. yeah and how much like milk goes in but they do it by grams so i don't know how many grams it is i don't think it's really been affecting me at all because i think that's how little caffeine i've put in there but i just i can't, i have to get up at 5 a.m like fuck off i'm, I'm drinking fucking yeah. coffee yeah. and like official advice is it's okay to have a small amount of coffee oh yeah so i've had friends who drank a flat white every day throughout their pregnancy yeah exactly and i i intend to like have a latte a when I want bit. one. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Good. I mean, well done, mate. Yeah, I just, I, I was a hysterical IVFer who only ate organic and didn't really drink and didn't drink caffeine, but now I just feel like I've achieved the goal that I was aiming for. And I mean, this kid is going to drink caffeine one day, so I may as well get used to it. Why not? Yeah, right. although I do still mainly organic, but that's only for my own health. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't need to, like, I don't need to help the embryo implant anymore. Well, yeah, exactly. It's about blood flow, isn't it? Yeah. Caffeine. Yeah. So. so. Yeah. Good. Well. Mm. Lovely. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anybody skipping? Now's the time to stop skipping. Yay. Yay. We should have like a klaxon or like a theme tune. Yeah. Emma moans about pregnancy. <laughs> now she stopped. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So nice to have you here. Sitting around the table. Uh-huh. Feeling chilled. Um, so, as you probably know by now, we always start by asking people about their journey. <laughs> I love the way that you say that every time. <laughs> I just, I was thinking, are you going to start by asking me about my journey? And um, I just thought, why isn't there another word? I know. Like, what, I, like, I keep trying mm. to go, it, it, there must be one other mm. word that we can use. I tried two words and they yeah, stuck. T- the first one was quest, but that was with Hannah Vaughan Jones and she had a colleague whose surname was quest, so that didn't work. And then the other one was voyage. Your voyage. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't, just, just doesn't, isn't the same. I mean, there are choppy seas. <laughs> yes. So at times it does feel voyagey. Oh. Yeah. Your adventure. It's not fun. No, though, it's not fun. fun. <laughs> There's no highs. And uh, it's really difficult. There just isn't another word. Mm. So yeah. I'm going to have mm. to use that. Yeah. yeah. So my journey started when I was 34. thought okay. it was the perfect age mm-hmm. to have children yeah um i just got my dream job running a theater not far from here actually the lyric hammersmith absolutely oh, I um, the lyric. I yeah didn't realize it was that. yes oh. and um i had met the man that i wanted to have a family with and we started trying and um after a year nothing had happened and that was when we made our first foray to a fertility clinic mm-hmm. and we went through all the routine tests and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility which is that terrible is diagnosis not a diagnosis, not a diagnosis. At all, is it? um and that was the start of what would become a decade long wow. journey um which involved a total of 11 rounds of IVF wow. and um several miscarriages and also an ectopic pregnancy oh, that so was sorry. only discovered at 3 months oh yeah oh my god mm. yeah oh wow Yes, your face. So that must have been quite a serious. Yeah, it was after a round of IVF, and actually, you know, I have various bits of advice that I now give when I'm talking, and um, you know, one of the things that I always say is even, even if you think a round of IVF has been unsuccessful because you've been bleeding, um, or you've even taken a sort of over the counter um, pregnancy test, which is which certainly when I was going through treatment, a lot of clinics didn't do blood tests they just told you to take a yeah. urine test and I think that's still the case with some that um that well in my situation I was pregnant and I thought I wasn't um and uh, that's why I absolutely say to everyone you really must go and take an HCG blood test because yeah. you don't okay. want to end up in the situation that I was in um which is that it turned out that I was pregnant and then um uh, yeah, it was only discovered at three months, but it was in my ab- perfect baby, but in my abdomen. God, that must have been so painful. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't painful, but it was a very serious situation yeah. because it was very late. And I went to, um, you know, I had a scan, and they said you're you're pregnant, but it's in the wrong place. You need to go to hospital right now. Right. Oh yeah. God. Eleven rounds of IVF in total. Yeah. And so. I guess 
at what point did you start thinking I don't think we should do this anymore yeah and then keep because it's like yeah I mean we I mean it is the extreme end of the spectrum and one of the reasons why we carried on for as long as we did was that we seemed to be able to make perfect embryos Mm. um they would go back inside me I would get pregnant I mean not every single time Mm. um but I often got pregnant um and 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 sometimes lost it very early like a a biochemical pregnancy you know Mm -hmm. which is in the first few weeks and sometimes later um so so and and the doctors kept saying this is all a really good sign and if you keep trying yeah it'll happen it will happen so uh so we did and but I had this sort of mantra like I went out with a friend who said to me Jessica it's all about the number 43 if you haven't had a baby by the time you're 43 then basically when you're 43 you can get on with the rest of your life and we sort of um we we had this conversation we I remember having it over sushi in fact and um and I thought yeah but I will get pregnant by the time I'm 43 I mean mm. there's no question you mm. know this is when I was in sort of my late 30s I think and then we went through our last round of IVF just before my 43rd birthday. I abs- We did some things differently. We thought we were starting to find out what might be wrong, although obviously age was a massive factor at that point. Um, and, but, you know, three, you know, high quality embryos were put back and they didn't take and I was 43. And um, that was sort of, the start I suppose of a new chapter in the journey I didn't know at that point right that's the end mm. and mm-hmm. and also and maybe we'll talk about this I don't necessarily I, do, I don't I, I'm still sort of slightly hesitant to go there is a f- hard and fast end because I'm really interested in different routes to parenthood um, that that you know and, and obviously biological parenthood has a very finite um time but other forms of parenthood don't but um but after that I was 43 and after that round basically my my first book came out a few months later and my life just changed radically as a result of that and so Mm. that was in fact the last round of IVF with our own eggs and sperm so talk to us about your first book um it's called the pursuit of motherhood. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of compelled you to write that? Yeah, I. Um, I mean, I always say that I'd never written anything before. I mean, I've worked with like artists all my life, running a theatre, um, writers, actors, musicians, choreographers. But I had never, I never considered myself as as a creative artist in mm. any way. I'd never, you know, I wrote reports for work, of course, but I didn't write creatively. And, um, but I, I started to write because I really thought it was a good story. I thought it was like full of narrative highs and lows. I didn't think enough was being written about it. I... I, I want, and I really genuinely thought when I started writing, I would write my way to a happy ending, yeah. and um, and I was, you know, I was really pleased at that thought. Um, and then what I was unprepared for, I suppose, is how much I then discovered that I loved writing, and so um, it definitely was a cathartic process, and 
I think it's been hopefully a, a small part in the opening up of this discussion. But for me, what I discovered was that I loved writing, which is why I've written another book mm. and why I'm continuing to write. Yeah. Um, and I've just read your second book and I literally could not put it down. Oh, bless you. Like, oh, it was just it was just really like nice to read. Not nice, it wasn't easy to read, but it was just a, you know, the, obviously there was a lot I could um, identify with. But yeah, um, okay, so basically premise of 21 Miles, you swim the English Channel and I just think that's mental. <laughs> well, it is mental, you're totally right, it's totally mental and it's not something that I'd necessarily recommend everyone to go and do, yeah. But, um, so I was 43 and I thought I've got to do something else with my life mm-hmm. and you know, one of the other massive pieces of advice that I always say to people is I gave a decade of my life to Project Baby. Yeah. yeah. And do not ever give up Project You for Project Baby. Yeah. And so I suppose the channel was about me refinding Project You. And it had been a ch- childhood dream. I enjoyed swimming as a child and it was a childhood dream, but not one that I had thought about for 30 years. Yeah. And to be honest, if I had got pregnant when I first started trying, I don't think it would have ever happened. No. No. It would have just been on that bucket list. Yeah. Um, but I sort of thought, well, what am I going to do? I, I've got to do something major. Like, it's got it's got to be big and significant. And so I thought, like, well... well, it, And this is totally true, and I write about this in the book, that I had this it, thing at work, the thing that happened at work, which is yeah. that everyone was standing around the photocopier talking about fundraising challenges, and someone had jumped out of a plane and someone had run the London Marathon, and everyone turned to me and said... And I'd just come out of a meeting, and I was having my lunch at my desk, and someone turned to me and said, what What challenge are you going to do, Jessica? And I said, what? And they said, why don't you do a sponsored swim? And everyone laughed. And I was like, what's so bloody funny? You know, like, I know I, I don't... I know I probably don't look very good in a swimming costume. Um, but... I, and, and I think, you know, like, because I, I'm not a very sporty person. Uh-huh. I, I actually hate exercise. And it was... Like, at that point, I thought, well, I'm going to bloody show yeah. you. Yeah. And so somehow, in the alchemy of all this, I went, right, I'm going to do the channel. What Amazing. I didn't realise is, like, what was going to be involved and how horrific it was. Well, I think um, the things, the descriptions that really got me in the book were mainly you talking about being in cold water. Yeah. Just, it was quite a cold day when I was reading it. <laughs> I was just like, oh. Yeah. Um, like, how... This is completely off topic. It's got nothing to do with infertility. Well, it does. But what, like, how do you deal with that? Like, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I really don't like the cold. And I, and, you know, I still swim now to stay in touch with what I've been through. Mm -hmm. And because it's, it was so significant for me. But I, I hate, I, like, I'm terrified about getting in the cold every time. And I think, um, I mean, there's a, there's a huge movement of open water swimmers now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it, you know, people people absolutely love it. And, and, and it's interesting the number of people that sort of do it and find that it's a way of dealing with grief or dealing with pain and... Um, I mean, I can't say I'm one of those people because I still absolutely find it 
terrifying and horrible and and actually within the community they do all think I'm a bit mad because I just right. complained about it all the time yeah. about how much I hated it um, <laughs> but and and the worst and you know like the thing about something the channel which I learned which I, I when I started to look into what was involved was that you can't wear a wetsuit you know I just really? assumed yeah that you would be able to um, wear a wetsuit but Captain Matthew Webb who first swam the channel in 1875 didn't wear a wetsuit because they weren't invented so if you want to be an official channel swimmer oh um, you can't wear a wetsuit I thought maybe um, it would be because it's too cumbersome but no 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 no, no, no. It's so awesome. you can only wear a costume it's very strict about you know the costume can't go below the thigh or below the arm and you can wear a hat and you can oh, wear gosh. earplugs um and it's just a very long time to be wow. in cold water and yeah. are you on your own you're on your own with a boat you watching have a support you? boat okay yeah. just, just trying you to picture and it. a support boat yeah um can uh, before we go back to infertility yeah can we just very t- quickly talk about the jellyfish yes because so basically picture the scene there's jessica <laughs> swimming the channel don't want to don't want to spoil anything mm. but that she is swimming the channel and suddenly there's this like swarm of jellyfish yeah. that pretty much are with you the whole time yeah well they actually they weren't with me the whole time um they were in what is known that the, the jellyfish in the channel congregate in what is known as the separation zone okay, which right. is um the zone between the um, french inshore waters and english inshore waters and um i don't know why they hang out there but anyway they do, they do. um and uh so it was around about the middle of the swim and they were and it was terrible it was like swimming through oil slicks and uh were they stinging uh, yeah no yes yes i was stung all over my body and they um they said it was like some of the worst jellyfish they'd ever seen um and they're not life-threatening in the channel but but actually i mean you've read it the jellyfish which were my nemesis um, yeah. uh, leading up to it. It was the thing that I really feared. It wasn't the worst part of the swim. There were worse parts of the swim <laughs> wow. than the jellyfish. And actually, that was the part where I sped up, I think, to get away from them. Yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. But like, that was when they were like, okay, she she has, maybe has a chance of doing this. Yeah. but. And is there... Um, we've talked about this a little bit before, but is there a kind of sense of... Um, you've been trying to have a baby and you haven't achieved it and you've been trying for that, aiming for that goal and pushing for it and pushing for it. And um, and then you need to achieve something. You need to finish something. Yeah. Give yourself a challenge and, and achieve it. Yeah. Because the, the one thing that you've been trying so long is just out of your grasp. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. But this was... And that, and that is why when I started to uncover what was involved in the channel that I sort of still had to pursue it because I thought well I haven't achieved this other thing so my god I you know I can't like not do this now Mm. what was then became terrifying was realizing the similarities between swimming the channel and going through IVF and I know that seems a mad thing to say but the reason why they are similar is that your the success is out of your control because with with the with obviously trying for a baby you know nature is ultimately mm. in control of that but equally it doesn't matter how much you train mm. only the sea will let you cross her uh, it's not like running a marathon where if you start doesn't matter what the weather's like you can get to the end but with the sea 
you if the if the weather turns you know mm. if it gets too rough you, you you can't swim it so i had to accept that not i was taking on another challenge that i might not succeed and that might and that was out of my control um which is of course you know spoiler i i'm afraid you know i did make it which is but it is what made it so extraordinary that th- that this time nature said well okay i didn't give you one thing but yeah here you go you can have another that's a really amazing way of thinking about it so there's a t- there's um a bit in the book where you're doing a, a relay version of, yeah of it um and it was so i was reading it and i was writing these questions at the same time um and and again giving away spoilers yeah. but in the book you you kind of encounter problems because of the weather and you you kind of get understandably quite frustrated I won't give away any more than that but here is the question that I wrote um as someone who's had three rounds of IVF cancelled I don't know why I write it so formally (laughs) (laughs) it's like like I'm emailing you the questions (laughs) um as someone who's had three rounds of IVF cancelled the channel relay feels oddly like IVF you assume it's going to work and then it's aborted for reasons totally beyond your control did you feel your experiences of IVF helped you deal with the disappointments? And then in the next chapter, you're like, and then I realised it was exactly like IVF. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> but damn it, I still have. Yeah. But do, did you feel like you're, you know, going through IVF and having so many disappointments prepared you for what was to come? Or, or did you just feel even more frustrated? I don't think... What I do say is that, yeah, I've obviously now gone into a part of my life where I'm taking on these big endurance challenges mm-hmm. mental and physical mm-hmm. started with a channel I, I then run the London Marathon I then I'm now training for this final big challenge which mm-hmm. is climbing Everest um sorry just to drop it in which, we'll, which we'll be picking up on <laughs> we'll like, talk about that later. um but uh and what I do say is well hey I went through 11 rounds of IVF you know like that is a really tough mental and physical endurance challenge. Oh, yeah. I I am clearly and you know someone who can do endurance. So um, so I do think it prepared for me me in that respect. But what I wasn't prepared for is is it like just the terror that it it might not work as well. I've put all this effort in and I might not even achieve this either. But the and so what is now and, and mountains are the same, you know, mm, like yeah. it, it, exactly the same as seas, you know, like the mountain will decide can you climb it, and what it's been really helpful for me is an acceptance that there are some things out of your control in life, mm-hmm. and you just got to go with that, and sometimes you get something, and sometimes something's taken away, but actually finding a way of sort of living with that uncertainty and disappointment and hope and uncertainty and disappointment and hope is is quite a good way to be able to live so it's helped me in that respect um so i want to talk about the women that you speak to in the book um so jessica speaks to a load of kind of like women who have been successful in a number of things Mm. across so like that you speak to a kind of swimming coach who's got kids and you speak to artists and filmmakers and all sorts of people um about motherhood and Mm -hmm. some have kids some don't have kids um what was it firstly how did you choose them and Mm. secondly who made the biggest impression on you oh well 
they all made an impression on me. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't choose single anyone out. Um, so I developed this idea. So the, so we've talked about not being able to wear a wetsuit when you swim the channel. So the it seems to me the only good thing about swimming the channel is it's a license to eat. Yeah. Because the <laughs> only way that you can um, keep out the cold is with a bit of human padding. Mm-hmm. And and the book, as as you know, Emma, is also partly about food and women's relationship with food, which I think is very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this weird thing, which is I went through like many women, like wanting, and I still do want to be a stone lighter than I am. And yet all I wanted to do was get pregnant and get fat, you know, this weird schizophrenia. Mm. But so I discovered that, yeah, that I had to eat a lot to train. So that's where the idea came that what if I were to um, try and meet and eat with a range of famous and inspirational women who'd had, had an interesting relationship with that word motherhood to 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 try and sort of work out this question, this central question to the book, which is, does motherhood make you happy? In order to help me decide, did I need to find some way, somehow, of becoming a mother? Mm. So after after 11 rounds of IVF with my own eggs and my partner's sperm, did I need to be thinking about egg donation, surrogacy, adoption, fostering? Or could you have a fulfilling life without children? So... Um, and I decided I was going to meet with 21 women, which is 21 miles. Um, so nice symmetry. <laughs> and then, and it, and really those conversations took place over the course of the final year of my training. And it was very much like I would decide I would meet someone and then that would lead to someone else. And then that would, or I was going through a particular thing and I was thinking, um, you know uh you know like oh I must meet someone who's got that particular Mm. experience so that's um and they're all inspirational famous women you know with wikipedia I was like they they you might they might not be household names although some of them are like Prue Leith who's obviously on the bake-off but um but uh they're all people I say with like Wikipedia sites. Yeah, 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 yeah. Their own Wikipedia no sites. Yes. Yeah. Which is my sort of like barometer for uh, have you made it in life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were three that really um had an effect on me and two of them were Baroness Greenfield and Deborah Ross who neither of them had kids, and they both said they'd never wanted kids, really. Mm-hmm. But it felt like they were quite dismissive of the desire to become a mother. Yeah. Certainly yeah. the way I read it. And did, did that make you feel kind of silly? Like... Um, no, I, I think, you know... Um, no, not at all, because okay. I think that everybody has their relationship to that, word mm-hmm. and uh that I, d- I never felt from them that mm. they were judging me um on on this you know desire you know great desire that I um ha- had to have a child so okay. no I did I didn't I didn't particularly feel that no that's good I've spoken to other people who are like yeah why would you want kids and I'm like you're right why would I want kids yeah mm. um, but I one of the things that I always say I mean as you know I run this festival uh, as well as writing called Fertility Fest with um, a wonderful woman called Gabby Vautier who um, has become a mother after four rounds of IVF she's a mother to twin girls and I say that even though our stories are different and she's a mother now and I'm not we share more than what separates us because Mm. we've both been through this experience Mm -hmm. of wanting this thing of not being able to have this thing and she's got it and I 
haven't Mm -hmm. but we are more similar than a woman who's never wanted children um and but i you know but what's interesting about susan greenfield the scientist is she i don't know if you remember that she says in the book she says um i i say she says well i have i i i'm I don't know why that when I meet women who haven't got children, I feel like I have to go, yes, I haven't got children yeah. too. Um, and, and that's, you know, she was sort of um, saying that as if she didn't want to. And what I realise is that she might not, she might never have felt exactly what I felt, but she still felt a stigma as mm. a woman mm. around not having a children, even though she's never had a strong desire to have that's ridiculous. Um, I think, so you were saying that you interviewed the women to kind of, to establish whether there could be a fulfilling life without being a mother. And I think going through this journey, um, Mm -hmm. as many of us are, that is this kind of underlying anxiety that you always have, is that what if it doesn't happen? And so I guess this is almost, you know, have you kind of found the answer to that? Yeah, well, I found my answer to it. Yeah. I mean, I do think what you've hit on there, Gabby, is what I think is the fundamental difficult thing about about this which is when you're in it you do not know how it's going to end and you have no control we've talked about control no control really over it ending or or certainly not ending necessarily the way you want it to end you know um and I think that's a really hard thing about it and I, I I what I would say is that as someone who's you know further along in this journey than you are is and it's like I'm is that it is okay you know you have to do the work to make it okay Mm. now I I'm not saying for a moment you know people always want to know well have you got over it now Jessica Mm. and I'm the first person to go no no I'm never getting over this Mm. yeah I am never ever getting over that I haven't been able to have a child the way that I want when I wanted a child and the way I wanted a child I'm also not saying to you that I'm crossing over into the childlessness camp either because I'm open to different ways of becoming a mother. I'm still living that question. Um, But what I feel is that, um, and, and this I suppose is my conclusion, is from the book and from all the women I met, is that everyone has their sad stuff. Mm-hmm. Mine happens to be that I couldn't have my own child with the man that I love. But everyone I meet has something that makes them sad. Mm. And it's kind of, you, you know, like you've got to turn that into good stuff. And because life is short and, you know, there are... And this is going back to this thing about not giving up on Project You for Project Baby. Mm. Because there are other things that you want Mm-hmm. in in this life and I know you really want this thing now and it's it feels terrible that you don't know how it's going to end and you think that maybe life won't be worth living but of course it's worth living mm. and of course there are other things you want and like I I wouldn't I don't want to say for a moment that I wouldn't swap everything I have now for that family I wanted but swimming the channel Climbing Everest, mm. they're pretty good things to have done with my life. I'm really happy to have those. Yeah. You've done, well, you're, I guess you could argue that the journey that you've been on has delivered you a lot of different things. So you now obviously run Fertility Fest and yeah. things like that. So it's, you know, 
I always say about this podcast that I'm like, it's kind of, it's given me something that I didn't yeah. have and I wouldn't have had if we didn't, if we weren't going through this, which I am grateful for. It's going um, back to Nora Ephron, everything is copy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Our hero, um, our collective yeah, hero. Yeah, yeah. And your friendship, yeah. you know, how amazingly special you know, the, this friendship that you've mm. created out of doing this thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these, I mean, these are one of the reasons, you know, I also explore in the book, why do we want children? Mm. Why? And I think because creating family is, and having family is fundamental to sort of human happiness, that sort of connection with other human beings. And family is the quickest route to that. Mm. But you have created in your friendship something that, is extraordinary that is also core to sort of human happiness yeah um so totally agree can i ask one last book question then we'll move on to fertility <laughs> i'm just so interested <laughs> um, so in the book you talk about everyone thinking negativity is your noose that's mm. going to prevent you from doing it but mm. what one thing i've learned from ivf and we talked about this a bit before we started recording is that a bit of defensive pessimism mm. does not hurt so did I mean? Did it? Did having gone through IVF make it harder to be relentlessly optimistic? Did you feel like you should be relentlessly optimistic? Or did I, I'm you... never going to be relentlessly optimistic because no. that ain't me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I in my first book I have this whole chapter which is that um, my partner Peter bought me this book called Hard Optimism by Price Pritchett. Um, which is such a great name, and he used to, and he used to read, he used to read me a chapter every night. And actually, where I stand, like I cannot, like the thinking it wasn't going to work was mm-hmm. my sort of safety net because if I could persuade my, like if it, then I I felt like I wasn't going to be disappointed if I was expecting it wasn't going to work. But I, but I suppose, and that and that is my, you know default position mm. but I suppose where I stand on it is that what's wrong with being optimistic mm. <laughs> because it, you know I can't do it yeah <laughs> I know but I, I, I suppose if you can do it yeah be it because neither's going to change the outcome mm. that that's for sure pessimism or optimism is not neither of those states are going to mm. change the outcome of whether you get pregnant or not because I don't believe like you know, thinking positive thoughts gets you pregnant. No. So, so, so if you're, thank if, God. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. exactly. So if you're pessimistic, don't worry. And that is me. But actually, if you can be optimistic, why not? Because that's a better state well, to yeah, be you're in. Gonna be, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. more enjoyable. Yeah, it's along more. The way. Yeah, it's a more enjoyable way to live a life. Yeah. So, but like, I don't know. I like a mope. I think it's fun. I think yeah. it's it's kind of being being optimistic, but also pragmatic so yeah, yeah. i'm optimistic this will work but i understand that there's a big chance it won't i think yeah. it's the kind of you have to and i th- and i think you know i was listening to you talk gabby in previous episodes where you've said that about knowing that it doesn't work every time for everyone mm. and being prepared for that and i think that is that is something that i want everyone to understand mm. i want everyone to understand that ivf works and it's given the world millions of babies but it doesn't work every time for everyone Mm. and you need to hold both those things in Mm -hmm. your head and that if you um can go if it doesn't work first time and you have the 
emotional and physical and financial resilience to go through several rounds of treatment then your odds of it working increase or and if you're prepared to think um, beyond that into donation or surrogacy then again your odds increase Mm. but you need to hold all those things Mm. in your head at the same time absolutely okay fertility first should we talk about that yeah what What made you think that Fertility needed an arts first. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, well, for a while, I I thought it was just me and Frida Kahlo that made work about, um, <laughs> uh, about fertility. Um, <laughs> you know, good company to be in. Absolutely. Um, and then when I um, wrote my first book, um, I think I always say, like, in the wider world, I am no one. But in my little theatre world, I was someone and um because I ran a big theatre in London and when I came out big cheese. Yeah, big um, cheese, yeah well not really but like in a small theatre world um and when I came out and and I use that word knowingly because it, it is like that mm. and I had been very secretive for a long time um you know I think because of the position that I held pe- people started to come to me about what they started to tell me their stories. I mean, I know that you've had a lot of that yeah. from the podcast. So people people would tell me their stories, but people would also start to tell me about the work that they were making. Because, uh, you know, I was in a position where I could potentially put that work on. Mm. And so that is where the idea of, like, well, what if we... Because what everyone said to me when I was bringing out my first book was, this is a niche subject. I said, this isn't a niche subject, no. you know. Um, and and then, and then I thought, but if we could bring all the work together, we could create more noise. Mm-hmm. And because the truth is that actually the work, uh, and when I say the work, the work by artists around this very wide subject has because people think it's niche it's often become quite isolated and quite Mm -hmm. issue based but I just thought well if we could bring it all together we could create more noise and I've always we are an arts festival and that is obviously my background both as um, a producer but also now as an artist myself as a writer but we are an arts organization with a mission for social change and so through these arts what we're trying to do is change the world of fertility particularly across three areas one of which is about improving fertility education for young people so they don't have to end up in the situation that we're in uh, or if they do they they they're more prepared for it um we want to improve i mean i think it is better now and hopefully we've played a role in that but when i was going through treatment there was it's just all about what's going on to on in your body and the worst part of treatment is what is going on in your head Mm -hmm. and there was just not enough mental health or emotional support from the clinics um and i think we're seeing a change in that and then thirdly just to raise all levels of public discourse about this thing um and so yeah so that was the idea and we did it in a really small way in 2016. My very good friend Gabby, who I've mentioned, was producing a play that was written, in fact, by her husband um, called The Quiet House, which was about the experience of a couple going through IVF. And we, she said, look, you've got your festival idea. Why don't, why don't you do that with alongside the play? So it was like one day in Birmingham and one day in London. And that was in 2016. And now we're in 2019 the third festival and it's at four weeks at the Barbican wow. and it's 
it it's part of the fertility show in Manchester and London and it's also part of ESHRA which is the biggest fertility industry conference in the world that's taking place in Vienna and it is incredible that growth but I think that that is a sign that actually the world is waking up to this is not a niche subject Um, and also it's testament to the fact that artists are a catalyst for conversation and the power of their stories and their work can change the world I really believe that Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that and, and I think that's what's happening and um, when can people go to that? So it's it's well, you can come to if you're in the if you're if you live in the north of the UK. Um, we are um, programming the Fertility Fest stage at the Fertility Show Manchester, cool. which is on the twenty third and twenty fourth of March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the flagship festival is at the Barbican that runs the twenty third of April to the eighteenth of May. Um, the centerpiece of that is um, a show that we're producing on the Barbican main stage called Avalanche, which is is a stage adaptation of the memoir by the Australian writer Julia Lee. Okay. Um, very shortly, um, we will be announcing the actress who is amazing, who's going to be lead, um, playing the lead in that. Um, so yes, so watch this space. But there's loads of activities happening alongside the show. Uh-huh. And then, and uh, yeah, and then if you're a fertility professional listening, I'll see you in Escher in Vienna. Cool. Amazing. Okay. So we normally end up uh, in the podcast by asking advice, but we've kind of already asked you all your advice. So um, one thing that you do in the in the book is eat mm. meals with all the women, and mm. you ask all of them, "What would your last meal be?" Mm. So Jessica, no! <laughs> this is this is my favourite question. Is and your last I would supper? be lying if I said that I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> been waiting for this moment. I have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> It's very true that I ask everyone, but I. Uh, but it is also true that I don't say exactly no. what my my ideal choice of last supper would be. Okay. Well, well, to start. <laughs> oh, yeah, we started. Wait, what are we drinking first? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I a lot of some of the women, not all of them, did give me three courses. Yeah. But I actually can't get beyond when I think about this question, and I think about it a lot. Okay. Uh-huh. I can't. I can't quite get beyond where food always needs to start with me which is um sort of like you know at the end of the day Mm -hmm. canapes and your first drink oh lovely so i i can't quite get beyond that um and i can't it's difficult to decide whether it's going to i'm absolutely known when i ran the lyric um they used to have to keep the beer on ice for me because I'm obsessed about cold drink. Okay. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I'm liking this. Uh, yeah. So it's got, it's like, I, I'm like that nightmare. But I'm also getting to the age where you don't actually care. You know, when you go into restaurants and you go, can you bring an ice bucket? I don't want the one where you just put it in. Yeah. I need, oh, yeah. I need a proper bucket with <laughs> yeah. water and ice to keep it cold properly. You know, so, so whether it's like um, white wine or... Um, or cold beer because of uh, yeah. Uh, um, I think of last supper. I think about being on a desert island, uh, um, and um, so uh, <laughs> it's obviously hot wherever yeah, we are. Yeah. And then canapé doesn't actually have to be you know like proper canapés. It could just be really good crisps or mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I could go on. No, please, please continue. <laughs> that's so. That's okay. Canapés and cold alcohol. And cold oh, I love alcohol. it. Oh, God, I... you're a cheap date. 
Uh, <laughs> or very expensive if it's high quality. That's very true. <laughs> Jessica, it's been so nice to have you on. Yes, thank, thank you for joining you so us. Much. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. So now it's time for... <gasps> Wait a second. What? Somebody sent us a good idea for what this was called. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got. She's getting her phone out. Oh my god! She's looking oh, on her phone. Oh she's god. putting in the passcode. Oh, no. It's a long one. It's... She's got it wrong. <laughs> this is going to take ages to find. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now it's time for IVF. What the f? Oh, that is a good one. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. Other ideas were Professor Tim's IVF corner. What the vag with <laughs> Professor Tim. <laughs> Insider into fidelity, IVF, WTF. I prefer what IVF, what the F. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, and to celebrate the new name, this week we're talking about... Embryo glue. Embryo glue. What is embryo glue, you what are? What is this? Where I is this? I googled it. Well, first of all, I listened to what Professor Tim had to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I googled it because I did think as we mentioned at the top of the show, that it might be some kind of Pritt stick scenario. Yeah. Um, they don't stick a Pritt stick in your cervix before they put the embryo in. I mean, it's fine if they do. If that's what they want to do. It will be uncomfortable. It's quite chunky, it's a Pritt very stick. Very big, isn't it, a Pritt stick? Yeah. yeah. So she, do you remember those big chunky ones that they had at school? Yeah. Those, like, industrial-sized ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or did you ever use one of those um, glue guns in Ooh. technology class? Yeah. That melts all the glue as it's coming out? Oh, that, now, oh. now I'm... Crossing my legs. I love those. Um, <laughs> That's what it would be like, right? Yeah, it would. I mean, if it was in our I mean, world, it wouldn't but be it's hot. not. No, it wouldn't be hot. Hot glue guns. I've had quite a few burns from those. And oh, sequins. Yeah, me, too. me too. Yeah, let's stop talking about this. Um, no, so it's a kind of culture media. Yes. Which Professor Tim does explain, so I won't go on. But, mm. um, but it's quite interesting what it is, because I genuinely thought it was something that you just like stuck on the end of the embryo. Yeah, it's not for making collages with. No. Um... And there's been a lot of debate about it actually recently because the HFEA um, recently suggested that some of the add-ons that clinics sell are not necessarily worth the money. Yeah. So there's that. There's um, there's a bit of a furore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so an, an embryo glue is one of those extras. Yeah. So yeah. Have you ever been offered it or yeah. seen it on a list at your clinic? My clinic is um, in the bowels of an NHS hospital, like teaching hospital. Mm. Um, they do some studies into things. I think they were doing studies into endometrial scratches. But embryo glue, is, uh, as far as I know, is what, not one of those things. And they don't, again, as far as I know, offer those extras. Mm. Just because um, they're very Spartan and NHS-ish. Right, yeah. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure if my clinic offers it. Yeah. We've not really spoken about it. I think also, like, if they even if they did offer it, they probably would have not offered it to me because I was doing it on the NHS. Right, yeah, okay. Um, things like tissues, they didn't really offer to me when I was crying, so... Well, if anyone, um, if anyone's got any experiences of embryo glue, mm. let us know because it's it is quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but uh, to save anyone who, or to give you something extra to think about if you are considering it, uh, we did put it to Professor Tim Child, and this is what he had to say. That's a difficult. That's a tricky one at the moment. Um, embryo glue is a special type of culture media. 
So when embryos, um, when eggs and sperm are put together in the lab, um, they're, they're placed in a petri dish with culture media there, and the culture media has got all the different nutrients and things that the embryos need to develop. Um, embryo glue is a is the trade name of a particular type of culture media that's got high levels of some particular proteins in, which it's thought improves the implantation rate or so the sort of stickability mm. of um, embryos. Um, now, some clinics may routinely use embryo glue in every single patient coming through. Some clinics may feel that the evidence for it is not overly great. There is an extra cost associated with it for the clinic, and so they'll pass that cost on to the patient. In terms of the evidence for embryo glue, it is a bit conflicting. So there, there have been a number of studies that have been done looking at embryo glue, but sadly, unfortunately, the studies are all quite small, so not many patients in them, and they're not very good quality studies. What that means is when the results come out, we can't be overly confident about them. But the studies that have been done, when you put them all together, do suggest an improved implantation rate, an improved pregnancy rate, um, with IVF when embryo glue has been used. Um, but because the studies are, lo are low quality here at Oxford, we've, we're just about to finish the world's largest study. So maybe a thousand patients or so will have been who are in the study will have been randomised by a computer to have embryo glue or no embryo glue. Mm. Um, the patients don't know, the doctor or nurse doing the embryo transfer don't know um, which arm the patient's in. And then obviously we're looking to see whether there have been more babies born in the embryo glue compared to the non-glue group. But we're not going to have those results through for another year, unfortunately. So at the moment, I would say that um, the, the small studies to date do suggest the benefit of embryo glue, but the error margins around those studies are quite great. So I wouldn't be surprised if a big study coming out said um, it didn't help. Oh, right, I see. So it's a shame we're a bit early, really. Yeah, exactly. And the HFEA, as people may know, the HFEA on their latest version of their website has actually got quite a good traffic light system. So people can look on there and there's a section on there about um, additional or add-on treatments. And it's got a list of ones which are being used quite widely now. And the HFEA have looked at the evidence, as I've just mentioned, and have tried to grade it um, with a sort of red, amber or green approach. Um, where it says red, it's saying don't really, the evidence is just not there. And all the evidence actually says it doesn't work, so don't mm. use the add-on. Most of the add-ons, though, are amber, and it really says they can be used, but we don't really know whether it helps or not, which is essentially what I've just said about glue. Um, brilliant. Well, thanks, Professor Tim. This is the end, the end of the podcast. Things to say. Never, end. never. Um, I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Uh, I think it was a particularly good episode. And um, just a reminder that you can get your Fertility Fest tickets. Yes. If you so desire. Just Google Fertility Fest. Yeah, it's right there. And there's loads of great events happening and they all look really bloody good. And we're going to try and go to some of them. Yeah, absolutely. As many as possible. And also, in during that interview, actually, she mentioned an actress in, in a play. Mm. And that actress is Maxine Peake. Yeah. How cool is that? So cool. So cool. So, yeah, go and see that. It'll be really good, I think. Go and see it. Yeah, me too. I haven't got tickets, but I'm going to go. Me neither. Let's get them now. Okay. Right, we're going to get off here and get some tickets. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 